Welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast, where each episode brings you compelling conversations and stories designed to entertain, enlighten, and encourage. And now here's your host, Brian Sexton. And welcome into the Intentional Encourager podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sexton. Thank you for joining us again today. And it's not often that you improve the intellectual quota on the Intentional Encourager podcast. You get yours truly in myself. The IQ is a lot lower than your average standard. But when you get a professor on with you, again, you just raise the level of performance with the Intentional Encourager podcast. He inspires leaders to be better and protect their health and handle challenging situations with grace and success. You can find him on LinkedIn at Professor. Pete Alexander, A-L-E-X-A-N-D-E-R, but you can find him right now on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Professor Pete, what an honor to have you. How are you today, sir? I'm great, Brian. Thank you so much for having me on the show, and I really appreciate your listeners, their time as well. Let's start here for just a second. You and I were talking before we started recording about our love for for sports Mm -hmm. and baseball. Mm -hmm. I'm a lifelong Cincinnati Reds fan. You're a lifelong Oakland Athletics fan. Mm -hmm. And and, and I want to start here because we we use sports as a quote-unquote stress reliever. Mm -hmm. But then we get worked up. I used to get worked up after watching Bengals games. I would be just as mad because they got beat as probably some of the players did until I realized – I had nothing to do with the game. Why am I so bothered by it? When you talk to folks and and you, you deal in stress management and things like that, why do people tend to get so worked up over games that they have no input or control in? It's, it's, and I, I get it as well <laughs> watching my team lose because as a lifelong Oakland A's fan, um, unless you're talking about 1989 or the 70s teams, you, we know, we know playoff, playoff heartbreak. So, um, the, the, the reason is, is because we care. We care. And, you know, we asphyxiate ourselves with the success of the team with our own success. And so if the team loses, we feel like we lose, we failed. And that's why we get so worked up about it. And, you know, it's interesting because when I see somebody who, you know, has, um, you know, doesn't, can't let it go if, the, if, it, if their team lost and then they're, they're in the doldrums for, you know, the next week, let's say. The fact of the matter is, is that it's like, okay, uh, let's talk about why that's happening. And there usually is some sort of other source event that they had in their life of that, that is this event of their team losing has basically provoked. And so it's, it's a matter of finding that out from the individual because often when we feel like, um, you know, we're going through this same pattern of a, a particular uh, negative feeling, there's always a source event that we had in our life where that began. And then we tend to have repeat offenses of that throughout our life that builds it up, builds it up, builds it up. So it's a matter of figuring that out. And depending on what it is, 
it might be as, as simple as just being aware of it and realizing, oh yeah, you know, you're right. Um, you know, maybe, you know, I was taking this too seriously, or in some cases it might be something where, uh, we need to do, uh, some work with the unconscious mind because the unconscious mind is where that is stored and you, the, the person needs to have their unconscious mind, get rid of it like emotional baggage. So it's, it really depends on this, on the individual in the situation. Why do you feel like that coaches put more pressure on themselves to stress points? Because, and I'll say coaches, managers, and things like that. I, I know there's a lot of pressure to win and that's mm -hmm. a natural stressor in itself, mm -hmm. but you also see guys that, that are really good at handling that seemingly handling stress. And here's, here's a person that, that I'll bring up to your, to your remembrance. Mm -hmm. It always seemed when the 49ers were playing, Bill Walsh was the calmest guy in the stadium, mm -hmm. but yet it was, it was stress that ultimately led Walsh to retire from the mm -hmm. 49ers. Mm -hmm. You look at a guy like Dick Vermeil who coached the, the Philadelphia Eagles Mm -hmm. famously citing burnout for leaving and then doesn't return to the NFL till 15 plus years later. Mm -hmm. When you look at coaches and managers in professional sports, what do you see as something that they could work on just from afar? And again, I'm not asking you, but what's something that, that there's maybe a uniform trait that you see that, that you could go, this is probably something they need to get a little bit of help with working on in their personal lives. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's interesting because let me just address first, you know, the fact that, you know, uh, Dick Vermeil and um, Bill Walsh, they're, they weren't, you know, those, those screaming kind of personalities. So they internalized, you know, when they were losing and stuff. So they were, it was burning inside of them, but they held their, their, um, their composure on the sidelines. Another one who did that very well was Tom Landry of the, of the Cowboys. You know, he just, he realized, okay, you don't have to be this crazy person on the sidelines, like a Mike Dick or a, a John Madden. For and example. you know, Landry, I'm, I'm glad you brought Tom Landry up because Tom Landry was the epitome of, of a gentleman coach. Mm -hmm. He mm -hmm. was that, that rock solid pillar, that, that, that guy, he almost had, and forgive me for saying this, and I'm not equipped. He almost had a godlike persona in Dallas. Mm -hmm, Always right. had the, he had the fedora, the sport coat, the tie, mm -hmm. just very regal, mm -hmm. almost the CEO on the sidelines yes. of the Dallas Cowboys. I love what you said about Landry, and you never saw Landry lose it. So One time. One well, time, yeah. okay. they showed it over and over and over again because they said, can you believe it? The The Cowboys had, I don't remember if it was five or six turnovers in the first half. It was like they just couldn't hold on to the ball. And after the fifth or sixth one, I don't remember, they showed it over and over again. He raised his hands up and turned around like this. And then he came back and he was totally fine. <laughs> So he, he actually, he, he's human. He was human too, but that was the only time in whatever, you know, 20 some years that he was coaching the Cowboys. 
it's it was crazy. I well, mean, imagine him you? coaching the Cincinnati Bengals, my lifelong team. He would have <laughs> raised his hands on on more. He would have. They would have been perpetually in the air with 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 coaching with him coaching the Bengals. But you bring up an interesting point is because when Tom Landry retired from the Dallas Cowboys, mm-hmm. then came Jimmy Johnson. Right. And he was vocal and he was fiery and he was Mm -hmm. the antithesis of Tom Landry. And here Jimmy Johnson was replacing a legend, George Seifert in San Francisco, replacing Bill Walsh. Mm -hmm. It seems, and I love what you said, Pete, about the internalization of the fire inside of them and things like that. Mm Mm-hmm. Let's make that correlation and let's let's correlate that to leadership. Mm-hmm. It seems as though a lot of times leaders today want to internalize those frustrations and those 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 angry moments and things like that. How do you get a leader to come face to face and confront the internalization of feelings that at times should be externalized? And I'm not saying toward their mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. I'm saying at some point there has to be a release valve for all this pressure yeah. that continues to build. Yeah. And it's a good question because a lot of times leaders will want their people to let them know what's going on with them, but the, 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 their people might not be um, feel safe or comfortable doing that until the leader actually models that behavior. And so if a leader doesn't, you know, wants to be successful, I always suggest to them that they should be real, you know, you know, let, let their team know if there's something going on that, you know, we we, showing, showing vulnerability, that's not a sign of weakness. Too many leaders think that if they sh- if they're vulnerable, if they show some vulnerability, that they're going to lose this, um, you know, this this aura of being this strong leader. And in fact, when someone is vulnerable and vulnerable, you know, in a way where you're not just you know um, doing it sarcastically or something. Well, it doesn't it's, have it's, to be an Oprah conversation no, with your team no. either. And and vulnerability. <laughs> I love what you said there, Pete. I had to jump in there because I think leaders fear that if they are going to be vulnerable, mm-hmm. that it, it's almost like, you know, well, well, do I need to cry? Do I need to, you know, just get mm-hmm. in the floor and get in the fetal position? Is that how I yeah. show my vulnerability? And, and, and I think that, that leaders misunderstand that all their team wants to see from them is, I want to see you be more like me because... You know, and, and, and it's connecting thing. It, it's vulnerability can be the greatest connecting thing that a leader can show to to their teams because their team can go, well, you're like me. Mm-hmm. I thought you were, you know, like we talked about with Tom Landry or Bill Walsh. I thought you were this, you know, unbelievable figure. And I find out you put your pants on the same way I do. Yep. Yep, exactly. And the thing is, is that the vulnerability, what it does is it creates trust 
And trust is by far and away the most impactful thing that you can have with your team. And if your team trusts you, they will go the extra mile for you. They will be more um, loyal to the organization. They will work harder, but they have to feel like they, as you said, said there, Brian, that they have to feel like they can connect. And so if you're being vulnerable, it, it, as you say, you don't have to cry or do things like that. But, you know, let's say a, a, often, you know, I, 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 I'm in discussions with leaders who have something like they're getting divorced and they think that they need to keep that all quiet. But you know what? A lot of their team members probably have gone through a divorce as well. I was, I was on a podcast uh, uh, earlier this morning and um, the host and I talked for a little bit and we both talked about our divorces and that was an instant connector that we had. And so it was when you think about being vulnerable, it's about sharing something about yourself that helps you connect better with the people that you lead or the people that um, are important to you uh, for your success. And well, it's when, just, yeah, when you were, when you and I were talking, and I mean to interrupt you, but when you mm -hmm. and I were, were talking before we started recording, I told you I had my Cincinnati Reds pullover on. If mm -hmm. you're watching on YouTube, here it is. It's my Reds pullover. <laughs> and uh, and and you you immediately began to connect with me there. And and I do the same thing. And that's why I wrote in my book, People Buy From People. There are lots of different ways that you can connect with people. And you can connect by observing what's going on around you. And, and that's what I, I, one of the chapters in my book is people by observation, because it's a way to connect with other people. And, and you're right. You're right, Pete, in, in the fact of, I think leaders are afraid to really show people who they really are for fear that that tough exterior, that people are going to go, well, you're not the, the guy or gal I thought you were. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And the thing is, you know, when you pretend to be somebody you're not, it, you know, that is an automatic stressor for you. And so I always, always recommend to any leader or anyone, any, anybody uh, for this matter, to clearly understand what are your personal values as it your top personal values as it relates to your career, to your relationships, to your family, to your faith, to your your physical health, whatever it happens to be. If you understand what your personal values are, the basically what's important to you, how you um, use your time and how you evaluate the use of your time, then you start to pursue a career that is in alignment with that, those values. And if you have to make decisions, important decisions as it relates to your career, for example, if you know what your top five values are, you make sure that that decision is in alignment with those, then you are going to be being, be true to yourself. But when you take a job or you act a way that is not who you are, you are going to start internalizing that and it's going to be a stress um, a stress creator. And it's just, it's going to uh, not feel right. And you are going to start um, having consequences from that, whether it's having difficulty sleeping, maybe uh, you're going to uh, have difficulty with any other aspect of your physical or your personal life until you get back in alignment with 
what is truly important to you. That is so good. Let's step aside, take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk about the Lighten principle that mm-hmm. Professor Pete talked about and, and, and has developed. So we're going to talk about how you lighten some of those things in your life. Professor Pete Alexander with us back in a moment here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Hey, everybody, Brian Sexton here. I want to tell you about our sponsor, SEO National. SEO stands for Search Engine Optimization. Now, what's that, you might say? Well, Search Engine Optimization helps you show up higher on search engines in front of paying customers for words that you as a business owner can monetize. What a great concept. SEO National is owned by my good buddy, Damon Burton, who's been a guest here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Not only has Damon and his team worked with businesses of all sizes, from e-commerce startups to NBA teams and Shark Tank featured businesses, but more importantly, Damon and his team are about transparency, trust, and providing lifetime value. So much so that he still has his first customers after opening SEO National 14 years ago. Let me give you some intentional encouragement and call Damon and his team today at 855-736-6285 or go to www.seonational.com and get a free quote. Professor Pete, let's talk about the Lighten Stress Management Model. I, I love this. It's it feels like when when you say lighten, obviously the first thing you're saying is we need to lighten the load. But mm-hmm. I got a feeling that there's something deeper than just just saying, oh, okay, I'm going to get rid of all my stress. If you could magically snap your fingers and do that, you'd be the most amazing person in the world. But I got a feeling Absolutely. that you've got a process around that. Share with us about the lighten stress management model. Sure. Well, thank you for bringing it up. So uh, what it is, Brian, is it's it's a seven-letter acronym for the seven areas of your life that um, create stress. And what it is, is, you know, it's, it's probably no surprise to your listeners that most of our stress these days is mental. But what might be surprising is that most of our mental stress is self-induced. We do it to ourselves. And so for the research, when I was writing my book, Lighten Your Day, um, the I found that these seven areas were the ones that were creating uh, the most stress in people's lives. And it, it was all self-induced. Uh, so the L stands for your livelihood, your career. And for many of us, we're likely to spend more time on our career than doing just about anything else. And f- those of us that have workaholic tendencies will work more hours than we sleep. So it's absolutely imperative that with the enormous amount of time that's being spent in our careers, that we have at least one or two activities that can help give us some balance um, to make sure that we don't burn out early in our careers. The second one, I, that's, uh, I call it imagination. It's, it's for your conscious mind. Your conscious mind is only 5% of your brain, but it's where your inner critic lies, your um, control freak lies, and it's also where your creativity lies. And it's absolutely I, I gotta important. I got to ask you something here. Sure. Forgive me, for, forgive me again for interrupting. I, I, I got to ask you. You mentioned livelihood mm-hmm. and you mentioned imagination. Mm-hmm. And, and I and we 
you have worked with so many people that that are married and married may be a strong word, but it almost feels like they're married to their livelihood because of the imaginations that they have of the relentless pursuit of stuff that they want or the places they want to go or mm -hmm. You know, my wife wants a new car or my son mm -hmm. wants a new pair of Air Jordans or mm -hmm. my daughter wants to go to this college. And it's almost like what other people are imagining life to be is is affecting the, how that person stresses them to pursue the livelihood. Or it's like, well, the Joneses down the street have a nice house. They just bought yeah. a new house. You know, and we we know the old expression, keeping up with the Joneses. Mm -hmm. When you were, and I had to jump in there because you are really hitting on something. You're really diving deep on something because I think if we're all honest with ourselves, we all have felt or feel, and there may be somebody listening right now that goes, I'm just not making enough money. And it's, mm -hmm. and it's that added stress. When you work with folks and that comes up, What's the one question that you ask them about livelihood that creates that V8 moment where they go, I never thought of it that way? Well, so that's a very good question. What I typically will, um, we were talking about our personal values. Um, and so at a point where we know what their personal values are as it relates to their career, then if they're saying I'm not making enough money, but what, what happens if money was, or let's say economic security or something like that was not one of their top five values that they said about the career. Then all of a sudden there's this misalignment, Brian, that they're saying, oh, you know, so-and-so, my parents tell me I need to make more money or my wife's telling me that I need to make more money. But what if those money isn't a value? of theirs, at least not a top value. Now, all of a sudden we need to look at that and say, okay, so why are you letting these external pressures affect you that way? Now, if economic security is something that is a high value to a high personal value for an individual, then it's a matter of saying, okay, so let's set up the goal, you know, like smart goals to figure out what are the milestones that you need to do either small, medium, large, that can help you get from where you are today to where you actually want to go in the future and well, visualize yeah. that. And Pete, it's, it's almost like an oasis effect, so to mm -hmm. speak. Mm -hmm. So, or a mirage effect, someone in their subconscious, whether they, whether real or imagined has placed into their subconscious, I have to make more money, mm -hmm. whether it's an offhanded conversation or it is a, um, or it's a perception of when well, my wife doesn't seem or my husband doesn't seem to be particularly happy, I must not be making more I must not be making enough money. Mm -hmm. and, and I've gone through that transparently. I've gone through that where my wife's like, well, you know, you need to make more money. And I have felt that pressure, not so much now because we're both mature and things like that. But do you find when you work with those folks the mirage effect that that it is creeped into their subconscious from some external force that they hadn't previously thought of am i am i asking that question the right way am i coming to that from a a different perspective no you're actually hitting it the nail on the head actually um brian because yeah there's the you know if 
if their formidable years as a child were, um, you know, told that, okay, you need to, 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 to work hard, to make money, blah, 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 all that stuff is being reinforced. Or let's say um, the, they grew up in poverty and didn't know where uh, the, the, the rent check was going to come from or food on the table, things like that. I experienced that as a kid myself. There is that, um, that relationship with money that uh, it subconsciously or unconsciously could be in there. And so if, if the personal value is not there for the money, but they're thinking that they need to be making a bunch of money for a, a particular reason, that goes uh, uh, to a point where we need to really look at um, what's going on in their unconscious. What is that source issue that's coming up? And um, I use a technique called mental and emotional release, which um, is a really powerful tool. And what uh, we do with that is we find whatever that source event is in their life that caused them to have that particular belief. And then we figure out, okay, that source event, we need to knock that out because it's causing emotion, negative emotional baggage to the individual, causing that stress. And if you knock that out and you knock out any other related events that may have happened to them throughout their life that reinforce this uh, unhealthy belief, let's say, you come back all the way to the current um, time, then you have released this baggage, which your unconscious really wants to get rid of. It yeah. wants a channel to get rid of it. And then all of a sudden now you can say, okay, I just unloaded this heavy baggage. What do I really want to do? What yeah. is it that I want to get to? And money will follow if you're being true to yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Will you take us real quick through the other ones? And I didn't mm -hmm. mean to park us there, but again, I think there are some people that are listening to this conversation that that struggle with that because it, it, it has become a societal norm to focus on the amount of money that we make. Absolutely. And and the and the R post, the relentless pursuit of stuff. And so will you walk us through G-H-T-E-N? And I want to sure. do that before we take a break and get into your story. Sure. So the genius, uh, that's the G, and that's your unconscious mind. We were just talking about that uh, uh, a moment ago. And the if you remember earlier when we were talking that most of our stress is mental. Well, what happens is your unconscious mind is your autopilot. It's running your body 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's breathing for you when you're sleeping, for example. Or if you've ever taken your car and drove from point A to point B and had no recollection of that trip, that was your unconscious driving. It's where your memories are stored. It's where your habits are formed. It's where your perception of the world lies. And it's where real change happens because your conscious mind, you know, the I, that can say, oh, I want to go over here. But if your unconscious says, no, I don't want to go over there, it's going to win and you're not going to get there. So you have to have your, your conscious and your unconscious mind in alignment. The H stands for physical health, which is, you know, the inspiration for what I do today, because without your health, nothing else matters. And if, you know, you know, and if anyone ever questions me on that, I ask, think about the last time that you were really sick, let's say with the flu or something else. 
did you feel like you wanted to do anything other than lie in bed? Probably not. And when all you can do is lie in bed, you're no good to your career, your job, your business, your family, your uh, relationships, nothing. Well, the so old adage can, applies here, dead men tell no tales. Exactly. Dead men tell no tales for those yeah. of you doing the Pirates of the Committee, uh, of the Caribbean. Yeah. Absolutely. You can't, you know, and, and I used to, um, I still do occasionally um, a talk where um, I title it, a dead leaders rarely make their numbers. <laughs> you know, it's true. Yeah. It's true. So 100%. You, you know, so don't take your health for granted. Um, the T stands for time because, you know, we all know that once uh, the time is gone, we can't get it back. And that's why I always encourage people to find a particular stress relief technique, even if it takes one or two minutes a day, utilize it. If it works for you, utilize it on a daily basis because even one or two minutes a day if you do it regularly every day, the compound benefits will be absolutely amazing. But you got to start today. You don't want to wait and say you're going to start it tomorrow, next week, next month, because you won't do it. Don't procrastinate. Start focusing and doing some self-care. The E stands for our environment, whether it's uh, at home, at work, at school. You know, it, when you think about it, if there's a particular project that you're working on, you probably want some quiet you know, some silence, a comfortable place to sit, uh, minimal interruptions and understanding from those around you. So it's very important to make sure that your environment is supportive of your stress relief efforts. And then last but certainly not least, the N stands for your network of relationships. And the people in your life matter. When we are stressed, we're less patient, more irritable, less able to listen or show empathy uh, or interest in the other people. I always tell people, you know what? Don't take your relationships for granted. Make sure that you, that these relationships they're in alignment with the other aspects of the light model and that you'd make sure that the people who are most important to you, you are present for them. Wow. Such good stuff. And, and again, you were talking about self-care. It's about internal intentional encouragement, guys. You can take mm -hmm. one to two minutes and, and really encourage yourself. When we come back, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to tell Professor Pete's incredible story. Come on back with us here on the Intentional Encourager Podcast. Hey, everybody, Brian Sexton. want to tell you about my new book, People Buy From People, 10 Powerful People Lessons from the Ultimate People Person, my dad. My dad was one of the greatest connectors that I ever knew, and he shared with me 10 connecting principles that I have used throughout my 25-year sales and sales management, customer engagement, and leadership career that I'm passing along to you. If you want to be a stronger deeper and more powerful connector you've got to pick up a copy of people buy from people there are concepts in there that you may not realize help make you a power connector you can go to amazon and pick it up kindle if you're an e-reader and you like to do it that way or now available on audible and there's one other way you can get a copy of people buy from people you can get one from me and i'll sign it for you you go to intentional media and publishing at gmail.com and send me an email 
and I'll share with you the link on how you can get a signed copy. You can buy a signed copy directly from me. Again, people buy from people. If you want to connect like never before, pick up your copy today of people buy from people. And now let's get back to more great conversation here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Professor Pete, I want you to get into your story. You mentioned just a few minutes ago going through a divorce and things like that. Take us back as far back as you want to go from point A to today and just tell us your your life and your incredible story. Oh, thank you for that. Um, well, stress and I have had a really long relationship together. Um, it goes back to my days as a child in a very, very dysfunctional family. And, uh, you know, this one, uh, I, I, I can joke about it now, but it was, it was very, very, very rocky. Uh, I know all of us have not had the greatest childhoods, but um, some of the horrors that I uh, experienced taught me that I had to be a, an adult because no one else in the house was being an adult. So uh, uh, I got to my um, adult years being a very angry person because um, I pretty much missed out on, a, on just the, the, you know, the fun of just being a kid and feeling like you don't have responsibilities, et cetera. And I was fortunate enough in my mid-20s to um, discover a 12-step uh, program called Adult Children of Alcoholics that allowed me to first teach me how to like myself and then love myself. Um, and I owe my life actually to that program and I've been a, a faithful member of it since, uh, since that time. So I'm in my 31st year now. Um, but what was interesting about it is, is that while that helped me to like myself and love myself better, it didn't help me handle regular stresses that we all encounter. And it wasn't until my mid forties back in uh, 2008, when, uh, the stress finally raised its ugly head in a big way. Um, at that point, my uh, dad was dying uh, and he had to have all of his um, affairs taken care of. My, uh, my mom had to have major, major surgery and had limited resources for help in the, in the uh, physical therapy afterwards. So she needed help. Um, my, uh, I had a, a thriving small business, but it had uh, several employees that needed my attention constantly. I, uh, I, my kids were small at that time, wanted dad's attention, of course, and my, my marriage was heading for a divorce. So all of these, uh, these major stressors happening all at once culminated in my diagnosis with stress-induced diabetes. And the crazy thing is no one else in my family has any diabetes. Um, and people were shocked. They said, you don't look like a typical diabetic. Um, and even, and for me, I, I didn't listen to my body about what stress was doing to it. I was, I, it, you know, they gave me several, several early signs, but I kept ignoring it. And even then I'm a diabetic I just said, you know, give me the, give me the medicine, give me the insulin. I don't have time to worry about this. And so Pete, how did you, let me ask you this. Uh -huh. How did you, because I'm thinking in, in our family, the last four or five years, uh, my wife's granddad passed away last November. He was 98. So from, from 95 to 98, my wife was his primary caregiver. 
Mm-hmm. Even when he was in an assisted living facility, she was still his medical power of attorney, making sure she stopped and, and taking care of his laundry and, uh, you know, if he needed hearing aid batteries or whatever, if, if something was happening, she got the phone call. Mm-hmm. How did you prioritize during that time? Who was going to get your attention because your dad was dying? Your mom had health issues. Your business had issues. Your kids needed you. Your, your, your marriage is, is failing. How were, how did you try to prioritize or say, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to rank this because you can only do one thing at a time. Right. right. And, and, and so how difficult was it to try to prioritize who was going to get the time and attention when so many people wanted time and attention? Well, it's a great question. At that time, I wasn't doing it very well at all, Brian, because I, you know, I'm the responsible one in the family. And so I felt like everything had to be taken care of. So quite frankly, it was more the way I prioritized it was based on either the biggest fire going on at that time or, you know, who, who was screaming loudest. And that's what got my attention. Um, and it, it's not a good thing to go. But the problem is that when you're so stressed out, you lose your ability to think as clearly as you can. And so prioritizing helps wonderfully if you're in the frame of mind to be able to do that. But I didn't have anybody who gave me any, you know, advice. Like I I didn't have a coach at the time or anything like that, that let me know, you know what, you need to focus on yourself first, make sure you prioritize your yourself. I didn't do that. And so my body told me, okay. I gave you a whole bunch of warning signals. You're not listening to any of them. So I'm going to have to take it uh, the next step down. And, you know, and like I said, even before, you know, getting this diagnosis, I didn't, I I just, I didn't have time to worry about, I, I can't slow down. So I kept burning the candle for another 10 years. Um, until I ended up in the emergency room with a severe case of diabetic ketoacidosis, which for your listeners who don't know what that is, my body was eating itself alive because of my stress. And the doctors said that when I came into the emergency room that I was one hour from being comatose. I was so dehydrated because I was so working on a particular project uh, at the time. And they had to give me six liters of fluid in the first hour and a half I was in the emergency room. And then they, they couldn't even read my blood sugars. They were skyrocket high that the medical grade glucometers just, they couldn't read them. So they put me into ICU the first and only time I've ever been in ICU. uh, And I spent several days there. And this is the craziest part of all. You would think that that would be an eye opener for me, but guess what? I was, I was working for a medical device company at the time. And on my second day in ICU, uh, about 6am, I get a text from my boss at the time. And my boss says, you have a webinar you need to run at eight o'clock. What are you going to do about it? And, you know, mind you, she knew that I was in the ICU. Wow. And so I, 
I, you know, Mr. Responsible again, I grab my phone because what a surprise, my laptop, my work laptop is not in the ICU. And so I'm sitting there pushing the boundaries of this phone, trying to reschedule this webinar. And uh, they would, the, the uh, nursing staff would check my blood every half an hour because that's what they do with diabetics. And so she comes over, my blood sugars had finally come down into more reasonable numbers. They were high, but they weren't so bad like they were before. And as she took my blood reading while I was stressing there to try and uh, reschedule that webinar, the numbers shot up like a 90 degree angle. And she says to me, just a matter of factly, she says, you realize that's what puts you in this hospital bed in the first place. And it took a perfect stranger to tell me this. And it was like my epiphany moment. I realized I am trading my health for my career. And that is a very bad trade. So, um, I thought about that all day in the hospital that day. And then I was released the next day and I decided, you know what? I, I don't care. I've, I've got to focus on my, my health right now. So I resigned the day after that. I started um, focusing on different stress relief tools and techniques. And I found that not only did my stress go down, my glucose numbers as a diabetic went down, my weight went down, and my energy level went way, way up. It was like I had discovered the fountain of youth. And here's the crazy thing, Brian. If you look at a picture of me from 2008 when I was diagnosed with diabetes and you see me today, I look younger today than I did 13 years ago. I believe it. That's I totally what stress, believe it. That's what stress does to you. It really, it's crazy. Let me ask you this. If you could go back a few years Mm -hmm. and you had ICU privileges mm -hmm. and you could walk into that ICU room and talk to Pete in that ICU room, what would Pete today tell Pete there in that moment in the ICU? It would be basically that trading your health for your career or other responsibilities is a very bad trade. Wow, I'm writing this down. Trading health for anything is a very bad trade. Absolutely. Wow. That's so powerful because you're you're 100% right. You know, somebody that's listening today, I want you to think about your health. When you think about what Pete has said, you're burning the candle at both ends. You're trying to make everybody happy. You're trying to do things that your body can't keep up with. You're writing checks your body can't cash. Mm -hmm. Pete, I feel like this is the absolute right time for you to share with this audience your biggest piece of intentional encouragement. Well, for me, I would say that when you think about taking care of yourself, if you feel a little bit guilty about it, that is good guilt. And it's so important to take care of yourself first. Um, it's like the oxygen mask 
theory, you know, when we, when we're flying and the flight attendant says, you know, if we lose cabin pressure, um, put the mask on yourself before putting the mask on a child. That's what we have to do. We have to put the mask on ourselves first in most cases, because if we keep on putting our responsibilities first and we never take care of ourselves, we're on the fast track to burnout, whether it's mental, physical, or both. And that is really what is so important. And I, you know, I love the, um, you know, the, the analogy that you, you made there about writing checks on your health. It's true. It's true because each time that you don't take care of yourself and it's, and, it, and we're not, I'm not talking about being egotistical and self-centered. I'm just talking about normal self-care. If you don't, if you keep putting that off and putting that off, eventually something is going to break. The weakest link in your body chain is going to break. And it's a lot harder to fix that once it's broken than fix it before it's broken. Wow. Wow. What, what powerful, intentional encouragement, what powerful advice. And again, um, you know, if, if you're walking through a stressful situation, I'm on LinkedIn, reach out to me. I'm more than happy to encourage you. Reach out to Professor Pete. We're more than happy to encourage you because you matter. You're important. Whether anybody tells you or not, or whether you believe it or not, you matter and you're important. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Reach out to us. Professor Pete, speaking of which, tell folks how they can connect with you and your resources, your book. Tell folks how they can get, uh, get in touch with you and get connected. Sure. So obviously I'm, I'm on uh, active on LinkedIn as well as uh, they can find um, my blog post, which is every week I give a, a quick and easy tip. Um, there's over a hundred and boy, I think there's a hundred and thirty, hundred and forty of them now on my website, which is uh, petealexander.com. And that includes the personal values exercise that we talked about earlier. Uh, and so feel free to check those out and uh, they can, anyone can contact me through that website as well. I'm happy in the books there. Everything's there. Man, this has been powerful conversation. We've ran the gamut today. We talked sports, yeah. we've talked <laughs> life, we've talked money. And uh, I am so thrilled that we had this conversation today. Professor Pete Alexander, thank you so much for joining us today on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Brian, thank you so much for having me. And thank you again to the listeners for their time. My thanks as always to producer Bryce Sexton and technical advisor Matt Means. And of course, the ultimate thanks goes to the Lord Jesus Christ, who provides intentional encouragement every day through his word. If you're not subscribed to the Intentional Encourager podcast, hit the subscribe button wherever you get podcasts so you don't miss an exciting episode where you can get encouraged and stay encouraged. And remember, anyone, anywhere, at any time, any place can be an intentional encourager.